be prepared to talk up your team and have key talking points. Like what are the three things you're going to, three great things you're going to say about your school and your team whenever you encounter anyone in the universe, like have that in your, your mental holster because you are now the primary spokesperson for that school, whether you want to, you know, whether you signed up for that or not. Yeah. And we need to do a better job of talking up public education. And if every administrator could just think of three things, keep them in their hip pocket and have those ready at a moment's notice, we, we can do better and we should do better. Welcome to Education Rx. The education system in the U.S. is sick and we all need to find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting. We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is Education Rx. Today, we will be continuing our interview with Will McCoy for our administration series. Don't forget to like and subscribe and enjoy. And so a coach can help guide through. There are some great training organizations, but a veteran that has done that job can say, okay, that's a priority and this is fluff. Like help sort through and, you know, check your ego. Why are you going to so many conferences? All of those types of things can be to the advantage of the district long-term. Well, in some of those situations, like we know in the last at least five years, equity and diversity have become a really big topic, which I think is well-placed. That needs, we need to address the imbalance of people of color, people of certain cultures, not getting equal opportunities in education, or we're not seeing the numbers be the same. And so we absolutely need to address that. And Shannon and I were in a district together where they went and spent a lot of money to bring in some people to do some assessment of our district on equity and diversity and then training. And I have to tell you, being among all the teachers as they were getting trained, there was a lot of rolling of eyes and laughing and making comments because they're like, we're already doing this stuff and nobody even asked us about what, where do we think the gap is? What do we need to improve and do better? They just brought in these people and they're telling us stuff we were already doing. What a waste of money. Okay. So that happens. I'm sure on many levels, that's just one example where teachers are like, these are the things we need. And they'll bring that to administrators. And I know they've got to, I mean, it, superintendents and department leads and stuff, they've got to have like a million of these requests all the time. I, I totally understand that. And one thing, my my dad was a president of a bank for many years and, and told me when I was having issues with the explosive administrator, I was like, what is going on with her? Like, this, you know, this doesn't make sense. And he said, everything you're telling me, she's got a title and no power. And so she's absolutely at her wits end. And I, I see that, I understand that. So I know there are different angles from which we need to understand their issue. But why is it that leaders come and say, oh, what is it that you need? Tell me what you need. My door is always open. This is a safe place for you to tell me what's wrong. And then why, if that's true, why do we have so many educators that are like, oh, I would never tell them that. I would lose my job. I would get demoted. I would be put into a classroom that I don't even want, or they don't ever listen to me. Like, that's what we're hearing from educators I know you've heard it. Help us understand like that there's two sides of this coin. 
There are absolutely, there are requests and there are mandates. Let me kind of address that. Okay. So there are often mandates related to training that must occur. And if everybody's doing whatever that training is right already, you know, bless them. Good for your district. It's an easy day. It's an easy PD day, right? I mean, like, it's a mindset piece of, you know, is there something I can glean from this? I always hope that people, whenever I do a professional development, they treat it like a buffet, right? And so take what looks good, implement what looks good, leave what doesn't appeal to you. You know, so I think good PD is, is built that way. But mandates are those things that we've got to do. We all have to do, you know, we all in California, we all had this sexual harassment training, right? We all had to do it. We all had to sit through it. It was the corniest set of videos I've ever experienced in my lifetime. They were incredibly awkward and, and just unsettling, but we had to do them. And we knew we just had to do them, right? I, and it's good. We all need to be aware and we all need to behave appropriately. I get that. So there are those types of trains we know that are just hurdles we all have to overcome together. But then there are those opportunities for you know, what can we do better? And what do we all agree that we need to do better? Sorting through those and prioritizing those are things that districts can ask the team, right? right? If you know you have to have a new curriculum adoption, mandatory training, here it is. But with our other 30% or whatever of our professional development dollars, what are the priorities for the district? Send out a survey. Right. Right. Google Forms is about the easiest thing ever. So let's create a survey and see where people are struggling. Again, being tied in. What did I hear in my last 10 walkthroughs? Wow, people are really struggling with X. So being that attentive administrator and making sure that the entire admin team is that sounding board for staff and then collecting those ideas, prioritizing, aligning with your budget and implementing. I mean, and not everybody gets their way, right? There's a limited number of toys in the toy box and you've got too many kids. So not everybody's gonna get what they want. Right. But the fact is you can engage with your team so long as you follow that up. You know, sending out a survey is great, but then if you choose an option that wasn't even on the list, then you lose integrity, you lose all sorts of types, you know, belief, trust, all of those things. I think that's incredibly important to make sure that if you're asking a question, you pay attention to the answers. Yes. The other piece that we were talking that you kind of brought up is, you know, decision-making and who's going to decide and how's this going to work. So in when, wherever I've worked, I've used just a really simple, a simple system of one to five. Is this a one to five decision? So a level one decision is it's your input. You'll do the research and the decision is yours. And a three is we're gonna discuss this together and we're gonna to decide together. And a level five is, this is my decision. It's my responsibility, I'll own it. And yeah, live with those consequences, good or bad. And as a superintendent, there are level five decisions that have to be made, yeah. but they're not as many as we like to think there are. That's where ego gets involved. And so most things can be, threes, twos, ones, if a superintendent knows and trusts their team and is clear about the expectation. You have X budget, Y timeline, and Z resources, and A, uh, expectation for reporting out or whatever, right? 
So it's a matter of, and I would ask my team or I would tell my team sometimes, this is a level four. I got it. I want your input on this, but it's my decision, but I want your input. So clarifying those types of decision-making structures really helps as an administrator. And also as a teacher, I would know where I stood. Like if it was a level one, they, they trust me. This is something I have a budget for professional development. This is important to me and my colleagues. I, we're going to recommend this and we're going to do this. Now, superintendent should stick to their lane also and not say, oh, you know what? I disagree with that and then pull the carpet. Mm -hmm. No, if you trust people with something and you delegate that and you remove yourself from it, then the fact is you need to trust them. You know, it's like a kid riding their bike. You got to let go sometimes. Yes. Make sure that, make sure that they're going forward. Th th those are the, the ways that I would recommend is really because so many decisions have to be made each day. Yes. That what, one of the most important things that I learned, you know, I went to a superintendent's academy and tried to learn the job and all that. One of the first things that they said is a superintendent should only do what only a superintendent should do or what only a superintendent can do. So there are aspects of the job that only the person in that chair can do. Approve budgets, build agendas, all of those types of things that only a superintendent can do. That's what the focus of the job should be. And that's developing relationships with board members and all of that. All of the other pieces, that's what your team is for. And so to learn your lane in that I didn't have to sit on the curriculum committee anymore as the superintendent because I had really smart people that I had hired or were there before I got there that know what they're doing, that can make a good solid recommendation. And then I can take it to the board and I can trust them to report out if I have questions. So with that comes the enhanced responsibility and accountability of if I give you a decision, you better be able to justify it, right? And back me up and I'm gonna back you up. So it, it can be a really beautiful system. I had the best team ever at Red Bluff Elementary. I still talk to them. It's seven or eight years later. And we still text each other. We still get along because we knew that we had something special. And it was because we all knew our roles. We trusted each other. They trusted me to make good decisions. I trusted them to do what was best for kids. And it worked. And so to be able to say that about every district would be pretty phenomenal. Wouldn't it? I feel like being a superintendent isn't a long-term job like it used to be. Like it feels like the turnover happens more quickly. And so people who are in between, whether principals or department administrators, they're all thinking and clamoring, trying to get as soon as that opening comes. Yeah. And I think in a weird way, we've kind of lost the pride in I am the curriculum director and I'm going to do this job and I'm good at it and I'm going to stay here and do it. And that's my role. And I shine there and that's good enough or I'm new to this role. And so I'm going to, first of all, get some history from people. What's working, what's not working, where are the gaps that you think from the teachers and the people like, and taking that time to listen first before they start implementing and just really own that role. And I think we've lost a little bit of that, a lot of people, and maybe it's because we haven't been paying educators like we should. And so maybe they feel this expectation that I have to move up. I have to move forward. If I'm going to get to a place where, you know, my 
my pension is going to pay out higher. I'm going to make more money, like all the things I get all of that. But I would love, like you said, it would be so beautiful if every district at every level had teams that they trusted. I don't know. Have you ever read L. David Marquette's book, Turn the Ship Around? And he's talking about as a naval officer, how he was given leadership over a submarine that was sort of doing the worst. (laughs) And he talks about because he was agreeing to take this group, he was given a lot of leeway. And I think military and education actually have a lot of things in common because we're government-based and there's certain things that we just have to do and certain policies we have to follow. So there's a lot of similarities. And he was given by the higher-ups permission to do whatever it took to turn this group around. And he said the first thing he looked at was eliminating this belief system and this practice of leader follower and turning it into leader leader and taking those people that are sort of that middle management group. And honestly, I think if we're looking at teachers, I feel like they're a middle management group and we haven't recognized that, but they were giving, he was giving them power to make some of those decisions that happen daily, that they have the most information and experience for, like you were talking about, giving some power to them to make some decisions and how it just started to revolutionize things. And I think over the last however many years, at least five years, we've been taking away all authority and decision-making and trust in teachers to do those things. And that may be part of what's perpetuating this, I don't feel supported, I want out. So when we look at whether it's the district level or the school building level, how what is a recommendation to those administrators about how to rebuild that? Yeah. How, to, how to let go of those reins? That's so scary because if it doesn't go well, it's on them. And they know that. That's scary. Right. Right. But we have to find a way to rebuild that trust, rebuild that authority that we're giving those teachers. Uh, wow. So many, so many aspects to that. You give me such juicy stuff to, to talk about. Um, you always have good answers. So you're, you're I appreciate good on the fly because um, you really get it. You really know it. I think that the most important thing that we can ever do in a school district is hire great people. So one of the things that I refused to give up on was sitting in on interviews. I sat in on every interview in my district, regardless of the position. I realized large urban districts can't always do that. I get that. But have someone you would innately and without fail trust sit in. Because great hires make such a difference in the culture, the climate, the expertise, all of that. And so hiring great people from the very beginning, so critical. And, you know, not losing sight of what a valuable resource you're bringing on. I mean, one one number that's thrown around is every hire is like a million dollars, right? Over the course of time and investment and all of those things, especially in teaching and certificated credentialed staff, that's like a million dollars. You don't take that lightly, right? And so hire great people and then don't just dump them in, make sure they're onboarded correctly, make sure that they are, you know, really taught about the culture of expectations and how we treat children here and how we treat each other here and how decisions are made. So all of those types of things. I think that it's important also, you know, the delegation and all of that. I think delegation has been removed as mandates have increased. Mm. I think that all of the mandates in education make it tough 
because often the superintendents aren't getting to make a decision. So I can't give you that decision if I don't have the, the responsibility for it in the first place. And so that that's a tough one, but I think that, you know, there's the what and there's the how. So you look at, well, here's what we have to do via the mandate. What does that look like for us? And so getting the great minds of your district together, the people that want to volunteer, community members, whoever, to talk around these big issues and how are we going to do this isn't always mandated. You must do it, yes. How are we going to do it? So even things as, you know, I'm going to say formulaic estate testing, you go to every school and they do a little different, right? So it's what's going to work best for us? How's this going to work? When I did state testing as a, as a teacher, I had, I, had, I had cereal days. And so I made sure all my kids had cereal and, you know, all the Fruit Loops or all the whatever they needed to have some food in their bellies before the test. Like, and so we made it fun. It was like, bring your favorite bowl. Like, so that was the how. We knew we had to do state testing, but how are we going to do it? What's our culture going to be around it? How are we going to talk about it? What, what are the things that everybody needs to know? Like, this is a mandate. We have to do this. This is how we're handling it at our school. And here's what it's going to look like. That's okay. I just, there are so many opportunities to have great conversations in education and in schools that are lost when people disengage. Mm. And people disengage for one of two reasons. One, they feel like they're not being heard. They're frustrated, they're tired. Life is getting in the way. All of those things happen. You know, being a good leader is making sure that you know who you're walking with and what's going on and knowing them as people. You don't have to be everybody's friends, but you have to know, and it's difficult if you're everybody's friend because you still have to make tough decisions. But you need to know enough about them to understand their point of view or have a lack of ego enough to ask. What do you think about this? How, how is this impacting you? The people that I learned most from as a superintendent were people that disagreed with me vehemently. Like, you know, one of the union representatives was this bulldog. She was incredibly tough. But she made me think all the time about why do I think that? Why am I, why haven't I considered that? So if you are afraid of controversy, the superintendent job is not your, is not for you. Back to the tenure of a superintendent, the average tenure of a superintendent, the last statistic I saw is two and a half years. And that's for a variety of reasons. One, there are career climbers that want to go next bigger district, next bigger district, next bigger district, more prestige, blah, 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 blah. And then there's also the politicalization of school boards because board members can be brought in to make you very uncomfortable and, and disagree with you and frustrate you out. Having experienced that, it's not fun. Mm -mm. And then there's the, you talked about people moving up from classroom to admin to district level to superintendent job and wanting to be a superintendent and not being content where they're at. Well, that can come from a variety of things too. That can be ego. That can be genuine concern for the well-being of the students, which is what we hope is driving any decision like that. But then there's also the, that person didn't listen to me. I can do their job better and, you know, put me in that chair. Right. I, I can fix this, which is 
understandable, but often underinformed related to what the job really is, because it's not like any other job in the district. And it is, if you love being with children every day, and that's what grows your heart and fills your bucket, you might not want to sit in board meetings all day or go to county office meetings. Yeah. Like, there, there's a lack of children in the position. Whenever, I think I talked about it before, whenever I got frustrated with my job, I'd go to kindergarten. I would go to the kindergarten classroom and walk around and sit down and read books and, and get my bucket refilled because it was that best reminder for why am I here? And so I, I would say before anyone considers the superintendent role, ask a lot of questions, go make an appointment with the superintendent and say, what does the day look like? You know, not just what do you see? And a good superintendent, in my opinion, would, would have those conversations. Wow, that's great that you're interested in more responsibility. You're interested in maybe moving up, all of that. What is it about? What are you looking for? Would be the, the question to ask. Are you looking for more responsibility so you can help more kids? That, that's what drove me. But if the person's saying, I want to fight the school board, I want to, you know, change the politics of the education system, good luck with that. You know, you can do that a variety of different ways and the superintendent role might be about six months long for you. <laughs> so you've got to manage all of those different things because a, a tenured teacher has much more protection than a superintendent does. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you think of job security and longevity, you know, ideally, if I was up to it, I would retire as a kindergarten teacher again. I would like that. That would be how I would do it. Notice I didn't say superintendent. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a hard role. I, I I'm not arguing that and I wouldn't want it. So it's easy for me to be critical because, I'm, you know, I'm on a different side of that. But I, I recognize that that it is really challenging. And well, I think it's important also teaching is really hard, too. Yes. You know, it's not a matter of one is more important or any of that. I, I don't want to elevate the superintendent role above educator, above classroom teacher in any way. I, you know, I've seen SLPs, I've seen counselors change more lives in a year than I got to a superintendent. And so I just want to make sure that that viewpoint is clear that there's a team here, right? Absolutely. What's that? There's a, a Chinese saying that, you know, if you consider yourself a leader, and no one is following you, you're just a guy on a walk, right? And so it's the, are, are we walking together? Are we working together? Or am I just, I have a really cool title and nobody's with me. So it's finding that balance. Well, and I think the concept of teachers are actually providing a service. I really do believe that people who go into education, especially as teachers and paraprofessionals and even the lunchroom people and the janitors, they're providing a service. They are service providers. And I think the more leadership you have, the more obligation you have to serve those who are in service. Right. And Absolutely. I think part of why I always like to come back and talk to you is because I feel like you have that perspective and I really appreciate that. And I would like that to be infectious to other people in leadership roles who maybe aren't sure how to do that. They want to do that. I think most people go into those roles with good intentions. You know, I think they really do. And 
the hardship of it and the mandates and the expectations and the I can't ever win or people are always mad at me can be really overwhelming. And so I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that it's a really hard job. And I, I recognize that. And at the end of the day, if we can help the leadership improve their ability to manage that and, and have a positive outlook and support and be connected, that will be infectious throughout the nation in public education. So let's talk really quick about school-based leaders, principals, assistant principals, and one of their big jobs, and one of the things that they really struggle with that I'm hearing from teacher perspective is that teachers aren't, or even people in different roles. I, I knew someone who was a dean of students, and all the feedback from the principal and the assistant principal was, oh, you're doing great, you're doing great. And then they got rid of her job and let her go. <laughs> and, she, and she didn't feel it coming. So those walkthroughs, those observations, that feedback is critical for people on the ground to know what am I doing well and what do I need to improve so that I can have my job, so that I can be effective in my job, so that I know I'm coming back next year. And I think a lot of administrators struggle with that. And I think in part because they, they want to be connected with the teachers, they want to have a good relationship with them. And they're fearful that if I am honest, or if I give you feedback that's hard, you're going to leave, you're going to be angry, this is going to ruin our relationship. I'm sure there are many aspects to why that's hard. But talk to us about that, because you've had some ability to make some really powerful systems that worked. Evaluation and evaluation of educators is incredibly tough. It is just, it is one of the hardest aspects of the job, in my opinion, because assuming you have a teacher that is typically emotion and heart driven, right? I mean, on a very basic level, they're a connector with other human beings and they care for others. I love that about educators. To impose a system of evaluation that takes intent out of the equation and it's performance and skills based for the most part is difficult communication is incredibly key so you know the worst evaluations are those that happen the day of your evaluation right the the person that shows up in your classroom pretends to pay attention for 10 minutes goes and does their write-up and then hands you your evaluation at a meeting and says what's your response like that's the ugliest, worst example I can think of only because I've experienced it, right? As a teacher. And that person had not been in my classroom really any other time because I didn't have kids. I didn't send kids out for discipline. I didn't, like we had our own little microcosm and it was lovely. And so for them to have this little snapshot and say, uh, you know, you're great or you're not or whatever is kind of disingenuous. I would much rather have an administrator that has been in my classroom once a week, at least once a month, coming through, knows what are the trends in my classroom. If if Joey is blowing out on a particular day and that's my evaluation day, thanks, Joey. Like that's not that's not fair. <laughs> that's not cool. But if they know that, you know, nine times I visited that classroom and once Joey was popping off, okay. So there's a little bit of perspective that, that is gained through familiarity. Communication of expectations, so, so difficult and important. 
So at the beginning of school year, you need to sit down together, have a meeting and say, here's the evaluation form. Here's the things I'm looking for. I don't expect the dog and pony show on the day that I walk through. Please don't try <laughs> and do all of these because we've all seen and done that, right? I mean, like, oh, okay, well, here's Maslow and here's everything under the, everything under the sun in a 20-minute lesson and your kids are like, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm smiling. <laughs> Me too. Like, that's, but who is that serving? That's not serving anyone. And so to go through and have a genuine conversation. These are the things that I'd like to see from you in the conversations that we're going to have between now and March, April, when evaluations are due and let them know your timelines. Here, here's what I hope to see. Do we agree on this? What is that going to look like for you? Have those deep, meaningful conversations. They don't have to be long, but if you're not spending a half an hour with someone at the beginning of the year that you're evaluating, to be clear about what your expectation is. And you need to be upfront about that. I expect your students to be behaving whenever I walk in, if that's a priority. I expect, you know, whatever it is and be clear about that. And then coach them again, back to coaching throughout the year, because you want to coach people for success. You don't want to coach them out. Like if I'm not paying it, attention to a teacher and I'm not trying to help them, there's 30 students that are suffering for that. Not even, not to mention the teacher. And right. then there's those families that are going to be like, why aren't you paying attention to that teacher? That teacher's doing X and I really, it bothers me. So being very clear, I said, when I finally got it down as an administrator, because it takes a while to manage just the volume of the paper, right? I, I would have that half hour meeting at the at the beginning of the year, usually within the first two two weeks, with the teacher and say, Here, here's what's going on. Here's your you're on the evaluation cycle. Here's the evaluation system. What questions do you have? What you know, what can we clarify? What are our goals together? All of that. Prior to that, over the summer break, superintendents should be doing their homework and looking at past performance, should be looking at you know, where are we at and what are the expectations and goals for the coming year? Then I would set all of my observation dates at that time. And I would try and do at least three observations before I did my final evaluation. Because then at least I had some significant classroom experience. That's not counting my walkthroughs of that classroom. But mm -hmm. I would set two to three other times when I would come in and spend at least 20 minutes, right? Like, let's be fair. And it wasn't going to be during art time and it wasn't going to be during PE and it wasn't going to be during recess. It was going to be when actual instruction was going on. And I, and I would give them a little feedback at that time, even if it's a post-it or a, an email following, I eventually created a walkthrough app that I, that they saw how I scored things on each of the walkthroughs so that they had some feedback on, wow, okay, it was kind of noisy, I guess, when he was in, or it was this, or it was that. And I'm saying noisy. I was a kindergarten teacher, and I love that <laughs> that noise of, of a happy class. But it's an easy example. But really communicating throughout the year, because then the teacher needs to be able to calibrate on you as a principal, too. Like, if, if and every principal is different. Some are very militant, 
and others are like, you better hug every kid. And you bet, you know, like there's these extremes that teaching staffs have to adjust to as principles come through, right? As the pendulum swings, we know it does, but I, you know, I would love to say evaluation systems are always objective, but there's a human element. And so we know better. So communication is huge. If I have concerns about someone, I need to talk to them and that's hard, but I need to also have schedule that conversation and say, Hey, you know what? I was in for a pre-observation or a, a small observation the other day. And you said something that kind of concerned me. Can you tell me about that? To, you need to be able to raise that because evaluations should never be a surprise. Never. You should know exactly what your evaluator is thinking before they sit down at their keyboard to complete your evaluation. So if there's this gotcha or surprise factor, that's simply not fair to, to the employee. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you are an administrator that is doing that, you can do better. If you're an employee that that's happened to, I'm sorry. But, you know, there are 180 school days and you shouldn't just talk about instruction on one of them, which is the evaluation day. Yeah. Right? Those are the six of, of what, what I like to do, what I would recommend. And it's not always easy, but I, and new administrators need training on evaluation. Even if it's just the organization and management of the paperwork, the timelines, all of that. Because if you miss a timeline with an evaluation, like there's consequences. Like sometimes that person gets a pass and maybe they deserve a pass because you missed the deadline. But otherwise, if it's a, someone that you're concerned about, you sometimes might have to wait two years for their evaluation cycle to come back. So if you want to make genuine change, you need to have genuine conversations. Right. Why do you think, and maybe in your districts or maybe in your roles at, with authority and administration and creating some of these systems, you had this. I have not worked in a district where administrators got feedback, where as an employee, whether it was a principal, now I did in the district, Shannon and I were in together. I know the high school, prince, the main principal of the high school created a system. Each assistant principal had like so many teachers underneath him and he created a feedback system Oh gosh, after he had been there about three or four years and kudos to him for doing that. But I know department leads, superintendent, there was no feedback from teachers. There was no feedback from special service providers for those administrators. We didn't ever have an opportunity to give feedback. Or their evaluations. Yeah, no, we didn't have any, we got evaluated, but we never got to give any feedback or surveyed or evaluation of the people that we were answering to. Yeah, I, I've i not worked in a district where it wasn't there. It's always been a piece of, of where I worked. And so, you know, the districts I worked in apparently are doing something right. That's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. And, you know, it there's there was also the opportunity for parents to respond mm-hmm. and say, you know, they're kind of come in like a survey kind of form. But somebody, if you're giving a survey, you better read it. You know, a lot, it, you shouldn't be doing anything just to placate people. It should be because you genuinely care about it or don't waste their time. I I think that it's important because none of us are great at seeing our shortcomings unless we're like getting dressed in the morning, right? Then, then they're all, (laughs) but, but in performance and job, I think it's, I think it's important for us to receive feedback. That 360 piece is, is critical because first day of school the next year, everybody's still there. And so how are you going to, how are you going to deal with that? 
And if you are an unpopular principal with your teaching team, what are you going to do about that? How are you, how it's your job to, to fix that. It's not theirs. And so sometimes it's tough because you're there to implement change, right? I was not as popular at one of my very first schools because they brought me in to instill change. And the staff that was there was pretty happy with status quo. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to kind of win them over. I needed to show them how classroom management was going to get better. I needed to show them. Also, that kind of touches on the point that admin need to know what they're talking about when they're doing an evaluation. Like, if I was a, a teacher that couldn't manage a classroom, I better do some homework before I have to evaluate somebody or I need to observe some people that do it really well so that I can speak from a point of, I won't even say authority, but at least information on how or resources because, you know, there are times when people are put into positions that they don't have the depth of experience that maybe they need. Like maybe I was only a middle school teacher and I am now the principal at that elementary school. Well, having taught kindergarten and having taught middle school, there are some really good parallels, but there are also some vast differences. Until until you have a second grader blowing out in your office, like middle school looks like a piece of cake. And so you need to learn. You know, if I've never taught in elementary school, I need to shut my mouth, open my ears, and observe some really great teaching in, in practice. So... There's the humility that needs to come with leadership as well. And again, circling very back to the very beginning of the conversation that we're all learners, right? And to give your principal a little bit of grace if he or she has never been in that type of environment before. Street cred and teaching cred for admin are critical. (laughs) To be able to walk the walk and talk the talk, all my staff knew, like, I, I had a thing where I would tap them out for coffee so I could go into their room. I could take over their room. I gave them a Starbucks card. They took a break. I handled their class and they needed to trust that he's not going to just put on a movie, right? Like that's not what he does when he comes in. I can pick up the lesson plan. I can run with it better than any substitute and, and go. And to have that credibility in that, I know what I'm doing in a classroom as an administrator. There's something to that, to be a respected teacher first, because I've seen people move to the principal role, move the superintendent role when they didn't really understand good classroom. And those were the hardest people to try and convince sometimes because it wasn't even within their realm of experience to be able to understand what you were talking about. So that that's that empathy and compassion piece. You know, there are some there are some districts nationwide that people are appointed to the superintendent or the mayor's office runs education. Well, yeah, let I sorry. <laughs> I think that there are better models is the most diplomatic way that I can say. That. Yeah, that was <laughs> I, I almost had to, you know, put a bloop. A bloop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think there are better models and they start with great educators. Oh my goodness. Yes. Well, and you, you've got to be, uh, 
We've got to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anyone, but there are some models out there that just aren't quite working. And it's okay to give them a nudge, right? Yeah, Although, I think so. Yeah, I think I think that any good conversation will do that. Back to we can have a respectful discourse. We can have people question their assumptions. So that's what we're doing. We're having people question their assumptions about education systems. Right. I know that we have kept you for a long time today. I really been so fun. Well, and I just love that you're willing to say some of the things that are hard to say. We really appreciate that. Right. I, I appreciate that. I, I commend everybody that is trying to help kids every day. And so I just want to help be a part of the solution. And, you know, if people out there need help, I'm, I'm around and you guys are doing a great job by asking the tough questions. Thank so you. I think we're a good team. So we do have one more question. Uh -oh. Can you right. give three things that you would like administrators to do on the first day of school this year? Or even three. just starting if they're going to make new habits? One or two. Yeah. Don't, don't go overboard. No, bring that on. That's a great question. What so, would you say is like a number one thing they should do? Be on a school campus. Don't you dare be in the district office on the first day of school. Don't you dare. Like you should be greeting every kid. You should be the happiest most welcoming, you know, feeling of hug on the planet. You should be, I am so glad you're here talking about, so not just for kids, for teachers, show some appreciation from day one. Hopefully yeah. they had a PD day first where you did that already and you're just reinforcing, but mm -hmm. don't you dare sit in the district office on the first day of school. Not only are you missing out on the coolest time where kids are still excited and nobody's tainted by anything, <laughs> And so be on school campuses day one, have a plan, have a plan for what you're going to do with the school year and how, and what are the, what do you hope to achieve? And, and don't make your list a mile long, pick three to five things that you want to make better for kids this year. You know, we want to lower absentee rates. We want to you know, decrease special education referrals, whatever that is to have a plan. So we're talking school-based administration. I think really be prepared to talk up your team and have key talking points. Like what are the three things you're gonna, three great things you're gonna say about your school and your team whenever you encounter anyone in the universe? What are those things going to be? Because, you know, principals go to the grocery store, principals go to the bank and everybody knows you if you're a principal. Oh, you're the principal of, you know, Edison Elementary or whatever. Yes, and we are doing great things this year. That looks like, <laughs> you know, happier kids, great families, and a, appreciation of everyone's work. Like, have that in your your mental holster because you are now the primary spokesperson for that school, whether you want to, you know, whether you signed up for that or not. Yeah. And we need to do a better job of talking up public education. And if every administrator could just think of three things, keep them in their hip pocket and have those ready at a moment's notice, we, we can do better and we should do better. Oh, it's like you're, you're setting us up for our segue into how we like to wrap up. I don't up know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, we have a little saying for our podcast and just in general for education together, we can do better. And it, you know, we don't mean it to sound cheesy. It's just the reality. And I think 
we hear it replicated by so many of the people that we get to talk to and so many of the things that we're seeing. And I think it's such a positive thing and positive time in education because there's so many educators and educational thought leaders and experts and that are really leaning into making positive change. And that makes me happy because even though I've had moments of frustration and, and I understand where teachers are coming from and where families are coming from and students, like I get those things. I've been on many of those levels. I think we're really trying to make change and I think it's timely and it's good. And yeah. I really appreciate you being willing to have these conversations about administration because we focused a lot of energy on teachers and what's happening for them, but it is happening in, in administration as well. It's hard, they're hard roles and a lot of politics getting involved with that. And we got to figure out how to find some balance there. So these are good conversations. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to come in and talk with nice folks and hopefully help some people. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, we'll be talking to you soon because we love talking with you. People are looking for you. They can find you at Invo Healthcare. And then also we will make sure in our notes that we have links to, you have websites for your books and things like that. So we'll have links to all of that. So if people need to reach out to you and they can always reach out through us and we can pass those along. The last time we had you on, somebody left us a great message on Spotify that they got so much out of that episode and yeah. we're willing to pass those things along because we're happy <laughs> to Thank share you. the good yeah. stuff. We all need to hear the good stuff. Thank Perfect. you. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. So that was the second half of our interview with Mr. Will McCoy. And he, I, I always want to say he's the real McCoy. He must get that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cheesy. Okay. <laughs> you are so cheesy. That's why Shannon loves me. Um, <laughs> So what I loved is that he really was talking a lot about observations and saying, I think it's beautiful that he mentioned, start at the beginning of the year by spending at least 30 minutes with each person that you're going to observe and letting them know what's expected. Here's the format. Here's the form that we're going to be using. This is what I'm going to be doing. Here's what you can expect from me. I mean, just we want to do that. We talk about doing that with students in classrooms all the time, but we don't talk about doing it with our employees. I mean, why not? Yeah, I really liked his suggestion on sometimes being a listener and going in and like you may not have expertise in the same field that they do. And I find that a lot being a speech therapist that my observer doesn't necessarily have insight into what I do, how I do it and why I do it. So he suggested that you learn a little bit and spend some time watching them and gaining knowledge about their field. So I appreciated right. that a lot. And I think a lot of other teachers and service providers would appreciate that as well. Absolutely. And I think it's a little disheartening to hear that almost every district he's worked in does have a feedback mechanism or a observation review mechanism from staff about administrators. And we worked in a district that did not. That's a bummer. <laughs> And for those of you who don't get to give feedback on your administrators, you should be able to do that. So maybe bring that up as a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say about it. It's good that he, his districts do it. Yeah. More, more and more are doing it. Well, and I think I have not been in a district where I've observed coaching coming in at any level of administration, especially at principal level. And I know I've worked in districts where 
teachers who have gotten to a point that they're qualified to be assistant principals or principals, especially during COVID when a lot of people left positions, they went into from being in a classroom to being an administrator with like very little experience or training or coaching on that. And that might be something districts should really look into as they're trying to get back in a solid groove post virtual learning and COVID. Talk about getting some coaching for your staff, even if it's from other people within the district that have strengths there. It's a good model. It is. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, I hope that you are enjoying our series on administration. And if you have questions or comments, do us a favor, look below. There's a subscribe button. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please subscribe on YouTube. It just helps us to get bigger, better guests. It helps us to get our messages out and really support educators and education on every level. So please subscribe, tell your friends, and come back next week to see what we've got for you then. Together, Together, we we can can do do better. better. All right. See you next time. Bye.